Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Sanditon Season 2. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. Keep up with us on TikTok and Instagram at The Pemberley. You can support us on Patreon and email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Pemberley Podcast. We are on the second to last episode, episode five of the second season of Sanditon, and we're really excited to dive in because a lot happens. It's a lot of exciting drama. But first, we want to tell you guys all about what we're watching outside of Sanditon. Yolanda, what have you been watching lately? I just finished the latest season of Great British Bake Off, which is always a delightful show to get into. I think every season you end, you're like, I could never be more attached to these people. Like, who's the next crop of, like, young bakers? I'm not going to care. But then you care. (laughs) You care and you're invested in their lives and their personal ambitions and everything. So... I will say, I'm still deciding how I feel about the hosts, I think. Okay. I think, you know, there was these other hosts years back now, Mel and Sue, who were just so funny and so good with the contestants. And I feel like they made it more about, like, lifting up the contestants. It's still a fun dynamic, and I do think they they bring some fun bits and comedy. I'm an occasional Great British Bake Off watcher. Like, I watched the Dairy Girls episode (laughs) because it was, like, I was very invested in it because it was them. Yeah. Do these people, like, know anything about baking? Because I feel like they're, like, one of them is an actor. It's the guy who was in Bridesmaids. He was Rebel Wilson's roommate. Well, the hosts don't necessarily know, have to know about baking. They're just there to give commentary. They're there to like talk with the other contestants. But the contestants are, are all amateur bakers. So they're very good at what they do. They're just not at a professional level. Got it. So the, the judges are the professionals. The contestants are aspiring professionals and the hosts are just like these comics. So. Great. That's the dynamic. Love it. Yeah. Was there any dessert or any treat that they made in particular this season that stood out to you? Not in a good way. <laughs> Was this the Mexico episode? Yes. I they, heard about this. They, they, and there's now a trend where they do like a different culture episode. And last season they did Kauai. They did Japan. And there was a lot of cringiness from that and a lot of mispronunciations of all the things same thing this season where they were like tacos and they were like Mexico. And so they made some jokes that I was like, okay, we don't need to do that. Oh no. I think I get the intention behind it of like, we're expanding what we cover. We're expanding the audience, but learn maybe to pronounce certain things. I, it's fine when contestants mispronounce things. Cause like, if they don't know, they don't know. But when the hosts mispronounce things, so they made tacos, which that's not really, that's cooking now. Um, <laughs> but they were like, oh, the tortilla, we're baking that. I'm like, okay. So they were referring to the entire taco as, or they were referring to the tortilla as the taco oh. when they meant tortilla. So it's like basically things like that. Just get it right. We're moving on. We're moving past it. We'll see what culture that they mess up next season. (laughs) It's like, I feel like it's now what they're kind of known for. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer, I guess. Didn't they also, because I only saw about this on TikTok, they also like didn't know how to pronounce um, guacamole. Yeah, there's, you know, just things you should look up. (laughs) Things you should look up. Yeah. All right. But anyways. That's great. 
I recently read a very good book. It was my first Emily Henry book. I know she, I'm a big romance fan and she's been kind of big for a couple of years. And yeah. I somehow haven't read one of her books, but I finally read Book Lovers and I really loved it. Yay. It's so smart. It's very sort of Nora Ephron-y. Basically about uh, this woman, Nora, named for Nora Ephron in the book. They talk about it. <laughs> who is a shark, cold-hearted literary agent. She and her sister, who is about to have her third child, go for the slow season down to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina, which is the setting of her biggest client's most famous book. And who should she run into there but her low-key work nemesis, this equally sharkish editor who kind of makes people cry, but he makes great work. Hmm. And they had a very uh, famously terrible lunch years ago where they thought they hate each other. And now he's there and she's there and it's a small place. She's a New York City girl. She's (laughs) not used to small places and she keeps running into him. It's very tropey and soapy and really deep and really layered. It really goes into the why behind the what. And I really enjoyed it. Emily Henry has really just like been killing it recently. She just got book after book after book and they're all really good. She crushes it on Instagram too. Like I feel like, I don't know why it fascinates me so much, the intersection between really good author and also really good at being entertaining on Instagram. Yes. But she nails it. She's got so many followers. All of her stuff is so much fun to watch. You just, you want her life and everyone should check out the book. It's great. We're on our second to last episode of season two of Sanditon. Yeah, we're almost done. We got to unpack everything. Previously on Sanditon, Lady Denham's garden party brought all the drama in one place. Allison Haywood nearly died from drowning in the lake until Captain Fraser jumped in to save her. Colburn and Colonel Lennox hate each other. Colburn forbids Charlotte from seeing him again, but he literally can't do that. She can see whoever she wants to see. And Edward's schemes against Esther are only getting worse. The big event of this episode is going to be the Sanditon Ball. But starting with the Parkers, Tom Parker doesn't think there's going to be a ball because all of the shop owners are like, we're not going to provide you anything because we are still owed a bunch of money. So, but even though Arthur's like, but they're bringing all their supplies. He's like, no, they're actually taking everything back, which is really embarrassing. They're supposed to have... A bunch of people in from London. This is going to be like the event of the season. Arthur knows the truth now about Tom's gambling. And he's like, you got to tell Mary. She's going to know how to fix this or she's going to like help with the situation. So Mary has also found out the reputation of Colonel Lennox. From Lady Denham. From Lady Denham, which is that he's been known to just go around to different towns, run up credit and vanish the next day without a trace of them, and you can't really go after them because they are the literal militia. And it's not like people are going to question their character or try to be like, hey, you got to pay up. So all those towns are now kind of at a loss. And Mary Parker sees it as like, wait, no, I don't want this to happen to our beloved town. So she tells Tom and Tom now finally has to fess up to his gambling debt, which is... 100 pounds. When I first heard this number, I was like, just pay it. It's $100. It's $100. It's literally like no money. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, listen, if you have $100, great. Like, 
if you have like this big debt that you need to pay off and that's it, go, go pay it off. <laughs> and then we did our research and we looked at an inflation calculator. Then we converted that into US dollars. So we understand in our little brains, basically it is $12,000. <laughs> Modern day 12,000 US dollars is how much money this here man owes Colonel Lennox before, I mean, this is blackmail, but like before he owes the shopkeepers, who knows how many hundreds of pounds he's run up. How much do you think that nice assembly room dinner ball cost? How much does they have? There's so many men and they need so much stuff. Yeah. Also, I feel like they're kind of squatting. Like they're living in tents just outside of town. That's not glamorous. No. And it's gross. Another thing, I mean- we don't know if this happens, but here's at least what I was thinking. Because Lady Denham says these guys vanish overnight. And so I'm thinking the night of the ball is the night they may be piecing out. You know, like, get in, throw one last big hurrah, pack up, leave. And never pay for any of that. And you can't, like, call the police on the militia. You know, I don't even know who you call to solve something like yeah. this. It's really disappointing, and Mary is really disappointed in Tom because she's like, how did you let this happen again? You literally saw what almost happened again to the to our town last season, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's really disappointed, and, and she's like, you didn't even acknowledge like the sacrifice Sydney did. What do you mean, sacrificed? Did you really never work it out? Sydney and Charlotte were in love. He married Eliza to save you. But you would throw all that away for a game of dice. And that's the first time that Tom's realized, oh, yes, Sydney was like a right-hand man for him and someone who was always there. But he didn't realize just the lengths that Sydney went to really make sure that Tom's vision could succeed. He yeah. did all of that for Tom. Yeah, and he didn't realize, because he made, like, a different mistake. You know, it wasn't the exact same mistake. But it's, like, putting the whole town at risk for, like, saving him in some small way. And I think he realizes, like, shoot, I don't want all of what Sydney did for me to have gone in vain. Yeah. And I think he realizes, like, maybe why he kind of fell under the colonel's spell a little bit. Because he's kind of like Sydney. He is like good looking and well connected and brought all these people to Sanditon and he's someone that people look up to and that they trust and he wanted him to like him. Yeah. And he's like, I've been a huge idiot. This guy isn't Sydney. <laughs> like I could rely on Sydney. He was the best guy. This isn't even remotely him. Like he's yeah. he's been Allison Haywooded, you know? Yeah. Like they were all blinded by these good looking guys in these uniforms. They're war heroes. <laughs> Not Basically, what ends up happening is Arthur is able to work out a deal with all the shops or something and extend the credit for three more days. So the ball will continue to go forward as planned. So no one in town knows that it was ever in danger of getting canceled, but it's really thanks to Arthur that it's saved. So I think that also helps Tom to open his eyes and be like, oh, I still have another brother, you know? I still have someone I can rely on. I think he's always just looked at Arthur like, oh, yeah, you have your theater plans or you have, like, these other things that you want planned, but he's really only been focused on, like, what he wants to accomplish. But I think hopefully now he can look at Arthur as, like, what can we both accomplish as the Parker brothers together? Yeah, Arthur's been supporting him this whole time, and he really, he's he's been here the whole time, and he's a little ridiculous, 
But he means well, and he would never screw anybody over the way that Colonel Lennox is. Yeah. That's kind of what's going on with the Parker brothers. Let's go on to the Haywood slash militia. So Allison Haywood is done with Sanditon. She's like, I'm done with this town. I came here for love. She had like this big, these big dreams of what was going to happen. Allison was going to have her hot girl summer. Yeah, she was. And now she feels like a fool. And she, she's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving tonight. I'm leaving tomorrow. Um, but Charlotte is like, just stay for the ball. Like, that's it. And then you can leave. And she's like, well, of course you're happy. You have Colonel Lennox. So no one, no one notices that something is sparking between Colburn and Charlotte. I don't even think they realize. Yeah, they like, don't see it. Charlotte is so mourning the loss of Sydney that like, she doesn't even get why people are shipping her with Colonel Lennox. Mm-hmm. She even says that. She's like, I don't like this guy. She doesn't love him. You know, she doesn't have those strong feelings for him. I think it's Georgiana who tells her like, you're allowed to have feelings for someone else. Mm-hmm. You really are. Like you're like Sydney's never coming back and he was a great guy, but you're allowed to move on. Yeah. So at the temporary militia camp, Fraser is telling Carter, like, you got to man up. You got to apologize to Allison. Like she's leaving. So you got to make men's before she leaves. And he doesn't. <laughs> so spoiler alert. It's funny because Fraser has a thing where he's like, do you really want her to go back to Willingdon to finish the season? And then Carter's like, what's Willingdon? <laughs> Fraser's like, where she's from. Oh like the literal town where she's from. So Carter has not been paying attention to a single thing. He's just been like, oh, pretty. So that's what he's been focused on. Fraser is actually the one who goes to apologize to Allison. I hope you will forgive me for my part in the deceit. It'd be rather churlish of me not to. Since you did save me from drowning. And as you say, my departure is not on your account. So do not approach yourself. Now there's like something beginning with Fraser and Allison. I don't think she sees him in that way yet, but he's definitely interested in Allison. I think things between them have been in the works. Yes. They have this banter where she thinks he's really stiff and kind of rude. Yeah. And a little Darcyist. Yes. Yeah. He's a good guy. Doesn't approve of these scallywags around (laughs) him. These roguish men who just take what they want without a second thought for people's feelings. Yeah. That's really obvious to her now. Like yeah. she, when she came to Sanditon, she was like, I want boys, boys, crushes, dancing, husband, ring, wedding. Like that's <laughs> in that order. Yeah. When she saw how much wanting those things from anyone really like screwed her up. Yeah. She's like, this man is a good man. He is not a bad man, and I acknowledge that. And also, he's handsome. And he saved my life. I mean, the one thing she still doesn't know is that even though she knows that Carter's stories were borrowed from Frasier, she doesn't know that the letters were his words. So that's going to be a big reveal when it happens. doesn't happen in this episode. Nope. But I feel like once that does get revealed, I feel like she's going to, like, all her feelings are really going to come, like, flowing over for, for Frasier. So. Yep. Not there yet, but, like... She's back on track. Yes. Both of them are back on track. There's a quick thing with Georgiana where Charles is continuing to paint her. She has Arthur accompany her, but she's like, oh, but we're just going to be here. Just two people hanging out. You can leave if you need to. She wears her hair naturally. It's not braided back. It looks really beautiful. And so he paints her the way that she wants to be seen. They almost kiss, but then they don't. 
And then he tells her that he loves her. So they're in this very intimate, vulnerable setting where she's like bearing her soul. She is there. He's getting- holding her face. Yeah. Like her chin. Like they're close. They are. It's tense. And then he tells her that and she like gets up, goes over and she kisses him, which is a very big moment for both of them. It's a great moment. Yes. I loved it so much. I was like, you go, Georgiana. Yes. <laughs> So clearly, these two are becoming a thing. They are becoming a thing. And, like, I think she also knows that he is, like, the only person who's ever tried to get to know her and isn't courting her for her money. They're not even really courting. Like, he's just painting her. But, like, they're bearing their souls to each other, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's a very big deal. At Shea Colburn, Augusta is pretty distraught because... She has had nowhere to go and no friends and no anything going on in her life for two years. And then she got to go to a garden party and that was going to be the beginning of the rest of her life. (laughs) And then some random colonel was there that ruined everything. (laughs) And now she's like, great, that was my one shot at coming out into society. And now my uncle will literally never let me go anywhere ever again. And I hate it. And so Charlotte's there and Colburn apologizes for the way that he spoke to her and demanded that she never see him again. And then Colburn comes out to Charlotte and is like, hey, when we parted, things were weird. That's it. Cool. Yes. Things. She's like, is that an apology? And he's like, no. So that's kind of like a weird conversation. She leaves. She comes back later and he's like, actually, you know what? Yes, I do want to apologize. Fine. But she really tells him, listen, like, if if Augusta isn't going to go to this ball, and I'm supposedly supposed to be getting her ready for events like these, like, I can't do my job of preparing these ladies if you're not allowing them to participate in society. And that feels like if they're playing chess right now, she's like, check, you got to hold up your part of what I've been hired for. But then Colburn comes back and he's like, well, maybe you should just rethink this job check again so it feels weird for him to say that when that's her literal purpose is to get them ready for society and he's like fine just quit leave whatever she's so, like help me help you yes. and he's like no <laughs> yes. he is actively like no and so she's like really i'm not so you want me to get them ready for society you won't even let them enter fine i quit no yeah i mean she doesn't quit she's no. like she's gonna stay around because He's mainly just like, maybe you need to reconsider then, like, employment here. So they kind of just leave it at that, where it's like a tense moment where, like, Charlotte's not giving in and he's not giving in either. So they're two stubborn people. Yes. (laughs) It's a lot. I will say, we do get Colburn resolved later. Yeah. But I really thought, it's so last minute, it's like one of the last things we see. I thought we were going to go this whole episode of not knowing what happened. Yeah. But we do find out. I promise you that. Just stick around for a few more minutes and we're going yeah, to Yeah, we're going to go into that. We're just, we're trying to go in order leading up to the ball, which, ugh. All right. We still got the whole denims We've to go through. We got the denims and it's a lot, people. Strap in. Buckle up. I thought, I can't hate Edward any more than I do, right? But here we are. Here we are. Because this concoction that Esther has been drinking this whole time from that fake doctor to supposedly make her feel better, it turns out that Edward has been drugging that. Esther has felt like she's going mad. Like she's kind of a little loopy all the time. She's not remembering things. 
she's getting more and more upset that she keeps writing these letters to Lord Babington, not hearing a word back from him, which we know from last episode, Edward is intercepting those letters. So she feels loopy all the time. She feels isolated. She feels alone. She feels like nothing makes sense. Everything's going wrong. We hated Edward for saying this to Clara last episode, but he was right that she doesn't feel like she's worthy of love. And so she feels like, what do I do? I gotta do. Okay, give a child. I'll give you a child and they'll be worthy of the love. Okay, great. But she's just being ignored and she's isolated. He's like the only thing that made her happy. He's like, he's literally poisoning her. Like it's like drugging, but it's poison. Like she's also getting sick. She's like weak. She feels dizzy. They do say the name. She's, he's drugging her with laudanum, which I looked up some of the history behind this. It is 10% powdered opium dissolved in alcohol. So it is a opium tincture that was widely used in the 19th century as a painkiller or sleeping maid. Basically, it was like a catch-all drug for everything. Pain, stomach aches, headaches, sleeplessness, in quotes, women's trouble, so like menstrual pain or any kind of women's melancholy. They would give it to children for like any kind of illness, which like would end in serious. Yeah, I mean, this is more serious illness. This seems like alcohol times 10, where they literally would try and like knock you out for surgery, you know? It's basically morphine. So it's like, hey, you have a headache. You want a shot of morphine? Yeah, Yeah, it's like literally that. that. There was no prescription. Anyone could buy it. And then they later realized... Oh, we think people can get addicted to this stuff. It's not good. (laughs) Yeah. It's dangerous. Which people were. People were highly addicted to this. So then they started to restrict how people can get it and then how often they can get it. So that sort of thing. This is just Edward. No prescription. No nothing. Just dumping things into her fake like placebo medicine for her. That's a big thing we find out later is like, she. we find out that the doctor has been giving her a placebo. It's not even like a real, no, it, it's, it's, no, it's nothing real. It's to help her. Just calm her nerves. Calm I think. her nerves. Or also just like to help her get pregnant, I think. Maybe like help with her being fertile, but like it's not real. It's meant to give yeah. her hope. So he tells Clara that he's doing this. He basically reveals that that's how they're going to get her out of the way, that he's going to make her look crazy in front of Lady Denim. Lady Denim doesn't like improper people. Like, that's kind of how Esther rose above it. It was like, they were insane and crazy and she was normal. But if he can convince her that she's crazy, needs to be committed to like a madhouse, she's not going to want to leave her fortune to Esther, you know? And Babington's probably not even going to want to be married to her anymore, so he'll leave her. You know, he's really doing the most. It really is. It's terrible. It's like his schemes times 10 right now. (laughs) And then he gaslights her at the ball. So let's... Let's go to the ball. Cut to the ball. We're at the Sanditon Ball. Edward is literally gaslighting Esther. Her brain is like really cloudy. Yeah. She thinks she's losing her mind. She's like, what's wrong with me? Edward gaslights her by, he's like, here, you need some wine. You need something to drink. And then he barely lets her hold the cup before he drops it on the ground. And he's like, ah! Look at how messy you are. Like, he dropped it to make her look bad. And then he's like, here, take my wine. Giving her more of that drug, which makes her really drunk. Slurring her words, can't stand up straight. She makes a fool of herself. Yeah. And it's just really un-Esther-like. And he's like, ugh, she's had so much to drink. She's not doing well. And that's when he- Well, he keeps whispering in Lady Dunham's ear to be like, I've heard that in her family, she had someone, an uncle, who went mad and was in an institution for 30 years. So he's like planting those seeds with the key people around- 
Lady Denim. And then when he drugs her and she drinks and, and when she's like really loopy, he's, it feels like it, it affirms that for Lady Denim. She's like, oh, maybe there's truth to what Edward is saying. But also German doctors there who gave Esther the right. medicine for her post-pregnancy. She started acting this way after you gave her those concoctions. And that's when he's like, my concoctions aren't real. They're placebo meant to give her hope. Like, it shouldn't be doing anything to her. Yeah. So that's what's kind of scary about it. Yeah. So now it's like, oh, she really is truly, she's going mad. She's going a little crazy, but she's not. Yeah. No one except Clara knows that the truth, which Clara is just like keeping her mouth shut. She is not helping. I hate her for that. Yeah. She just let it, lets it happen. It's really awful. I mean, what happens with Esther is they end up having to leave. And this happens a little bit after the ball. But like, so she's holding the baby and she is not of sound mind. And so there is like this moment of like intense worry of like, what is she about to do? But then they are able to retrieve the baby and it's okay. But it's like this image of her is really like unhinged. And it's not a good thing for Lady Denim to see. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So that's where it gets sort of borderline deadly yes other people who are enjoying themselves at the ball for real though a lot of other people enjoy themselves allison haywood she goes to the ball everyone's in their finest finery allison decides to wear her may day dress which is just like a simple like probably like a nice thing you'd wear to church or something like your nicest outfit and it's kind of plain but she's like you know what i'm gonna wear it it's me she's not really looking forward to this ball because Carter's going to be there and she's just still embarrassed that she believed all of his lies. But luckily, Charlotte and Georgiana have her back. They're like, he should be ashamed of lying to you. You have nothing to be ashamed about. Everything he did was wrong and deceitful and you, you shouldn't flinch. Yeah. And she does not. She goes there. She enjoys herself. Frazier compliments her dress and says that true beauty does not need adornment. And they dance and it's really nice. And she's like, oh, this guy's kind of dreamy. You yeah. Know? And she gets her proud moment where Carter's like surrounded by girls, like swimming in a sea of women, making them laugh, having a great time. It's kind of like from Sense and Sensibility when Marianne walks in and sees Willoughby like with this group of people. Yeah. And it's like something's off. She goes up to him and she's like, hey, I just want to say that you should have apologized to me because you deceived me. You almost let me drown. You're selfish. Like you just play these games with people and you don't care about how it makes them feel. And I just hope that you've learned a lesson here and that the ne- you're not going to treat the next girl like this. Yeah. All the girls hear it. He tries to like act like it was nothing. He's like, hey, like it's all in the past. You want to dance? And she's like, right. He no, asks her to dance. No, like, like literally never touch me again. Yes. <laughs> So she kind of has a triumphant moment where not only is she getting her her self-confidence back and this guy is like nothing to her, but she's uh, entering a little uh, flirtationship with Frasier and she kind of sees what it means to be truly appreciated and seen by a man. You know, speaking of men who appreciate and see the woman they love. Charles Georgiana looks gorgeous and amazing. And he's like, can we talk privately? And she's like, okay. So this is goodbye. Doesn't have to be. Come with me. Does your concubine? It's my wife. 
Georgiana. There you are. I thought you disappeared. It's really not great that he just springs this on her because he's like, by the way, I'm leaving. By the way, we should get married. And you're like, wait, no, that's th these are big decisions for her to make right now in a matter of hours, because if he's leaving tomorrow, then they need to decide this right now. Mm -hmm. So now Georgiana feels a little bit deceived too, because she's like, wait, I thought we had, I thought we were working towards something else, you know, with more time. But now suddenly my decision is leave with you tomorrow or that's it for us. Well, he says, I'm leaving after I finish your portrait and I'm finishing that tomorrow. It also kind of tells her that for a while now, his trip has, his stay at Sanditon has been revolving around her. Yeah. No, it's not. I mean, it's kind of inconsiderate, but- It feels like she's been his muse and he's like, great, the muse has inspired me and now I'm off to the next place. It is surprising then if he wants to like continue on with Georgiana. He's like, yes, continue. Let's go. Let's keep going. I mean, I'll, I want to say he has intentions of marrying her because yeah. he's like, I want you to come with me. And she's like, as what? Your concubine? You know? And he's like, yeah. no, my wife. Like, I want- to like he wants to do right by her yeah she kind of doesn't have a minute to answer like mary comes and finds her and is like hi you're alone with an artist let's go inside yeah. <laughs> like, no one no one saw so let's no go one inside. saw it doesn't count we're not gonna have an anthony bridgerton daphne yeah. um duke situation where like now you guys have to like let's go 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 she's ushered off inside and we, we don't really know where that they stand at the end of this because mary just comes out ushers her inside and we don't really know what happens there but it's okay because the real drama here happens between Charlotte, the Colburns, and Colonel Lennox. Colonel Lennox is talking to Fraser, and he's like, I hope I have better luck with my Miss Haywood tonight than Carter did. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, he's proposing. He's doing that he's tonight. Proposing marriage. They're dancing, and he the conversation is starting to allude toward a proposal. And he's like, Let's go. And she's like, oh, I see Allison. I suddenly need to go across the ballroom. So she kind of leaves him after the dance. And who should walk in but Augusta and Colburn? Which Augusta looks very pretty. She looks beautiful. She's a young woman of society. She is. She's a society woman. And uh, of course, temperature in the room drops when these two, Colburn and Lennox, see each other. Yes. And then Charlotte and Colburn have a dance, which of course, like, sets Lennox like on fire <laughs> like she must be so mad charlotte has feeling some kind of way during this dance like she's having a good time she feels comfortable in his arms dancing with him it's romantical and she sees allison afterwards and is like that dance like i felt more in that dance than i have in years and that's when colonel lennox pulls her into a balcony the same balcony where she and sydney mm. first uh had their first real interaction where he screamed at her yes when he was like how dare you think you're at the same level as me. And yep. then same balcony where he was like, I might be proposing to you soon. <laughs> yep, but doesn't. Um, so Lennox, like, doesn't really ask Charlotte to marry him. No. He says things like, I want you to be my wife. Just really just like, hey, I think we should get married. You know, like, what say you? Like, very, like, Darcy's first proposal. Like, yes. you're so lucky that I'm asking you. I wish you to be my wife. I thought I'd been clear. I do not wish to marry. The time for playing games is over. I play no game. I am perfectly serious. You worry I wouldn't suit a domestic life. I assure you, I... I, I cannot marry you. 
You can't want to continue as a governess. I'm offering to save you from that squalid existence. I do not love you. Love will grow if you let it. I know who I am. I've never pretended to be anyone else. Like he like grabs her, kisses her, and she's laps him and she's like, what's wrong with you? Runs away into the arms of Colburn, who's like, what? Looks up at Lennox and like the math maths for him. And he's yeah. like, screw this guy. The they boss. leave. So he whisks her away with Augusta. Once again, this had to end terribly because I of know. Lennox. He ruins every party ever. I feel like Augusta didn't even get to dance. She just like made an appearance and then she had to leave. By the way, also, this is when they have their moment alone. She's like, what happened between the two of you? Like, why do you hate each other? And he's like, we need to go. And I audibly scoff because I'm just like, what happened? What happened? Why won't you tell us? But we find out. So Colburn has her home alone in the library. And he's like, here's what happened. Colonel Lennox, but then he was Captain Lennox. They were in London. His wife, Lucy, decided that she was going to stay in London for longer. So Colburn had to return back home. And so Lucy stayed. And then she kept staying. And then it got to a point where where Colburn was like, I'm not a prideful man, but like I need to check on what's going on because I haven't heard back at all. So then he goes to London and finds her. And it turns out that she's pregnant with Lennox's child. So they were together, and we don't know the story. We don't know if this was like, did Lennox seduce her? Did he force her, himself on her? Like, we don't know the details. All we know is that she was pregnant. She was so ashamed to the point where she was like, I can't go back home. I can't tell him. But then he goes and like brings her back. And it, so it turns out that Leo, little Leonora, is not his child. It's Lennox's child. Yes, which is... Lennox, Leonora. Sounds kind of similar. Yeah. I don't think it was on purpose, but I'm just like, hmm. And it's especially sad because they don't realize it, but little Leo is like behind a cracked door listening to the whole story. She's never known the truth, but she overhears this and, you know, she goes away into back to her room. But I think the main thing of this is now we know the reason now why Lennox and Colburn hate each other. For very different reasons. I mean, from Lennox's perspective, he was like, he stole my woman, blah, blah, blah. But no, she was married to him. Yes. And so it's really awful. Charlotte has this really great moment of compassion. She's like, oh, now I see why you aren't as close with Leo. Like, this is why it hurts you to see her, because it is a reminder of what happened. I feel like he takes responsibility emotionally for, like, driving her into Lennox's arms. Like maybe he was still this cold kind of shut in guy. And she was like a beautiful, vivacious, outgoing woman who wanted to stay with her friends where there's action. And he just doesn't like that. And so she had her little fling or whatever with uh, Lennox. And I think that he feels really terrible for like whatever part he played in that. It's hard for him to look like, I think he still loves Leonora and I still think he considers her a daughter, but like, did he say, or do we get the impression that Lennox knows that he got her pregnant and was just like, bye. I don't know. Okay. I don't think we know that. Okay. Because if, if he did know, I don't, I truly don't know. All we know is that Lucy died from childbirth. She had the baby. Lennox was long gone. And then she passed away, and now Colburn is left to raise this child on his own. Yeah. And it's like, one, dealing with the heartbreak of 
what Lucy did, but also now the loss of her life and now raising this child that isn't his on his own. So it's like, there's a lot of emotions there. You know what? Fine. Shut yourself in your house. (laughs) You know, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense that he's been through a lot emotionally. And it's like, how do you face a society that, you know, it's not that society was responsible for this, but like all these people who would judge him, he doesn't want to like face that at all. So he's like, I'm just gonna seclude myself from all of that. But now years later, he kind of has to re-enter society for the sake of his niece and for his daughter. And it's, like, technically not his daughter, and I think that really hurts Leonora a lot. Because I think she's never really felt super loved, and now she's like, oh, there's, like, another guy out there who doesn't love me, you know, who, like, is my father who shouldn't. So we, I have no idea how this is going to take into the next episode, but, like, we've learned some stuff. Thank God we finally learned it. There's a lot more that needs to happen here. The big thing that happens, too, is that Charlotte and Colburn get really close and then they kiss. They kiss. They do. So that's a huge thing. That <laughs> that's ha- even bigger. Yeah. That's what the episode ends on is now like they're in. They're all in. So we don't know what this means for like their future, but clearly feelings have been building between them and now they're finally together. So we'll, s- I mean, we have one episode left. Like everything, everything that we've been talking about needs to wrap up next episode. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, stay tuned for the final episode of season two of Sanditon. In the meantime, you can keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon at The Pemberley. You can also email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.